the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Everybody, welcome to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're grateful for you to join us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show, or Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. As always, you can find our podcast wherever it is uh, you find your podcast. How you feeling today, man? Tired? What if I said? Energized. I would be really super excited about that. It's not how I'm feeling. I just wanted to know how you react. <laughs> how, how, what does your mind say to that when he hears you say that? Even my mind hearing my mouth say energized is like, what's that word again? What's that? We haven't heard that in so long. Your wife is listening right now. She's met. You're energized. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I feel I actually wasn't going to say tired. I feel good. Okay. B plus. B plus. <laughs> That's good. We're just going to do this every day. We're going to grade grade your energy level. You know, fun fact. I, uh, I came up with this idea when I was in undergrad where somebody I bought from like the dollar stores like this collection of different animals it was like 12 different animals and I assigned a mood to each of them and I was in this class with my friend and uh, I would just take out one of the animals and put it on the desk so she would know what kind of mood I was in that's awesome <laughs> and so she would take one and she'd do the same and she became like a a, a special needs teacher and like adopted that no idea because a lot of kids that you know are struggle in verbal skills and she's like used it's like a central part of her curriculum now to use these animals uh, she called them oh what she call them animoods <laughs> <laughs> and they they each had a characteristic and so it's awesome. how you how they could communicate to the teacher how they were feeling that day Let's that's, bring let's bring animoods to the common good. That's fabulous. And it all started with you picking up some random animals. <laughs> Dollar store. I that's know. That's really I know. funny. That's really funny. Well, one of the big stories uh, in our world today has to do with the Amazon rainforest. Uh, and let me just read. This is from CNN. It says, all you can see is death. The region's reeling from the Amazon rainforest fires. It says, the smoke is so thick at times a Cessna airplane had to climb to stay out of it. At times your eyes burn and you close the air vents to keep the cabin ha- habitable. <laughs> That's easy for me to say. <laughs> Sometimes it's so bad it's hard to see how bad it actually is on the ground. The stark reality of the destruction is otherworldly, like a vision conjured by an alarmist to warn of what may come if the world doesn't address uh, its climate crisis now. Yet it is real and here and now and below us. It says these are the people up in the airplane as we are scorched by the sun above and smoldering land below. And so it's this crazy story that keeps growing. And I, and I want to touch on it from two areas. One is I have no big concept, I guess, until I started doing some reading about how big of a deal this actually is. Yeah, it's like, huge. When you watch it on the news, you're like, okay, the you know forest fire. Like, I get the rainforest is different, but you're used to seeing images in California or something of forest fires. 
Uh, but this is a this is a really really big deal. Well, and it's also I'm reading on a different website the most biodiverse place on Earth, and hundreds of thousands of indigenous people and more than 400 tribes also live in the Amazon. So it's it it involves a full spectrum of people and uh, resources. And I did just hear earlier this morning that Leonardo DiCaprio is putting at least some of his money where his mouth is and is donating five million dollars to the effort. Wow. Um, but even part of what they were asking on the show is, is that even nearly enough? You yeah. know, like we, did we reach a billion for, for Notre Dame in terms of funds oh, raised? I, I think we did. did. Yeah. I think it did. So I think that the, the talks between various different governments is at about 20 million, yeah. which in some circles are saying is laughably small. Yeah. Like that's yeah. not even close to what we're going to need to in any way get around this. But it's also, I mean, it's worth noting that it, these fires were, you know, likely uh, intentional and. Um, I think understanding how those things work is is obviously way above both of our pay grades. But it's a really, really the the more that I learn about this story, the more that I realize how little I know. I feel the same way about the whole the uh, whole concept. Yeah, and and I think because of that, then there's probably a little bit less compassion and caring. But I I was never aware that the Amazon. Many people basically say it's like it's like the the lungs of the earth. <laughs> like yeah, I was reading right, that and, right. Uh, it's just uh, it's just weird. Let me take tackle this from two questions. One, you brought up Notre Dame in uh, the outcry of that. Now I've been reading like articles going, why don't we care about the Amazon like we did about Notre Dame? And I think there's some reasons for that. But um, it, it does seem to be uh, less on the forefront there. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with what we're emotionally connected to, yeah. I imagine. Uh, I'd be curious to know from the higher ups, like why is one a more immediate source of income and revenue and exposure for their city, their country, their town, or mm. is this long game versus short game? Do we not really, I mean, again, you know, the fires here in the Amazon, uh, something like 80% of them are a result of deforestation. So it's, it's, yeah. it's clearing space for uh, cattle ranchers. So, that's a much different kind of fire than the accidental fire at this really notable cathedral. Yeah. But I think people have at least somewhat of a good point to say, what, okay, so why are we, how, how can we raise money so quickly for this thing? Um, but 20 million apparently is not even, you know, a tip of the iceberg with this kind of tragedy. And it, it is pretty frightening. I mean, I'm, so, I'm assuming you've seen some of the footage. Yeah. Like just to watch uh, the magnitude of the damage is really haunting. But I also don't think it's apples to apples. And I don't, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. You ask 10 people, you probably get 10 different answers, like why this versus that. I, I do think it comes down to like what connects at the heart level. And people, the Amazon feels like just this big, grand sort of other thing, but Notre Dame. Like, you know, there's we have movies and stories written about, and, and yeah. there's a different level of connection, I think. And then I think that's why we're seeing a different response. I think you hit it right there. I think it has to do with, you know, a lot of us have been to Notre Dame or you've seen it in a movie. It's right. something you can look at. Whereas this one, you just look at it, it just looks like trees, and yeah. and and that that I know that completely minimizes an enormous deal. Yeah. Um. Uh, so treading on some uh some more uh, hot button ground here. Why do you think the um the care for our Earth or the climate itself, uh, the Amazon or yeah. anything, has become a a hugely debated topic what what is at play do you think there i'm not even saying it shouldn't be sure but even now you see people with a forest fire and they're like oh you know it's like you, depending on your political stream depends how you should feel about 
Right. The Amazon burning, which strikes me as odd also. <laughs> uh, what strikes you as odd about it, though? I feel like even if you're even if you don't believe in climate change, I would look at, you know, I would look at the Amazon burning. But like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. It feels like we yeah. should be doing something about that. feels like we should be helping in some way. That's a that's a big deal. Even if you don't think the earth is going to be done in 20 years right. or whatever else. Yeah. But even the, the people I've listened to or read and maybe I'm just reading the wrong people, but <laughs> it seems like even the way they've talked about the forest fires in the Amazon uh, is is being driven by their political leanings. Yeah, right. I want to be like, this feels like something that could be apolitical, <laughs> even if you, you don't agree. I know climate change is a biggie, but I think it's I kind of it seems question, a little weird though. to me. It was led by our political leanings. I think yeah. the more that we can at least just acknowledge that's what's going on, the better we're all going to sleep at night. Like I, I really do think that's a lot of what it comes down to: politics and money. And I think where where I find a lot of people disagreeing is uh, with the science. It, I think it, it's a lot of mistrust. So you know, if you're a Christ follower, and we've said something like yep. this before, like we believe that. As Christians, we're we're entrusted to steward the earth well. Of course, we want to do that. And I don't think anybody right or left would disagree with that. Right. Anyone who's a Christ follower. I think it comes down to a disagreement with, well, this scientist says this, and yeah. this lab said that, and this report said this. And uh, because everything is so highly politicized, I do wonder if, while we can all agree on the general sentiment, uh, we disagree, I think, on what the data is or isn't saying, or how urgent the need is or isn't, or what will actually make a difference or how long climate change actually has been a thing or hasn't been a thing or what's contributing to it. Yeah. I, I think that's where it all gets messy. I think at its core, I don't think, I don't think you could find a Christ follower um, within 80 miles of here that wouldn't at least say like, yeah, I think we are supposed to care for the earth. I think yeah. that, I think that is important. Well, what does I, that I, mean and look like? Right. And, and, and what are the best ways forward in that regard? I don't yeah. think any of them really are saying, ah, let it burn. Let it, burn. Let it all let burn. Let that Amazon let, go. Who needs them? Like, I don't think that, I don't yeah. think that's the case. I, I do feel like, uh, yeah, it does make me sad to just be like, you know, everything's political. Yeah. Everything's political and it comes out of our leanings. There's a, there's very few things that aren't. So uh, it's a huge story. Uh, I don't want to be flippant about it, but it feels like Jeff Bezos should go ahead and just fix it. And Yeah, fix, come on, Jeff. If you're fix, listening, we know you listen, Jeff. Because how cool would it be if he fixed the Amazon? Oh, uh, see, didn't I make that joke? <laughs> do you think he had a moment of panic when he first read the news? <laughs> yeah. Amazon yeah. is burning. Wait, what? Wait, what is going on? We're not even in place. Oh, that's But not funny. to be flippant. No, not to be flippant after I just was. So anyway, we're off and running here. And coming up next, I want to talk about an Instagram post written by a pastor and an author uh, a former quote, pastor, former pastor and an author that I think uh, I have a huge respect for. And I believe you do, too. So uh, coming up next, we will discuss that quote here on The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, who is right now drumming mm-hmm. to this song. Air drumming, I well, might add. Yes. Do you, uh, were you jealous yesterday with Huntley Brown playing the p- an actual piano? Did you wish you had actual drums for you in here <laughs> in the I, studio? That desire is ever present. Is I it really? Always, yeah. Honest, this is going to sound insane, but when I like am buying a car, I legitimately am testing out like the steering wheel and the dashboard. Yeah. I want to like see how it sounds to drum on it. It's just a constant. I can't stop. It's so bad. So if I dr- if I was riding with you and the music was on, it was kind of quiet. Like you always say, when it's quiet, I just start humming. Yeah, you would just start drumming. Yes, it wouldn't even need to be quiet. Does there need to be music on, or do you Not sometimes drum from the music in I your just, head? It's 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 always there. It's, <laughs> I'm sure it's so annoying. I mean, literally, I will at my home too. I'll be at like the kitchen counter, 
and I'll like I pick a couple of different things. I'm like, ooh, the, the this spoon here and this like this <laughs> like make different sounds. And my 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 poor wife, she's so patient. She's so <laughs> patient. Right now, she's like, yes, yes. It's just yes. a constant drum battle in our house. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Uh, there's a pastor and an author. Like you made a good point. Former pastor. He is now. Uh, speaks all over the place, writes all over the place. I remember being at Exponential one year, and they had the best nickname for him. They said they called him Yoda, uh, <laughs> because if you ever hear any pastor talking, especially a young person, when they talk about Tim Keller, it is with utmost reverence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is like, oh well, Keller said this. Uh, right. like, oh, oh well, Keller the said fifth this. Gospel. Okay. <laughs> I will never forget that Exponential where they where they. They did this whole spoof about how he was Christian Yoda, yeah. and it was really funny. It was really funny. And he got up, and he's very – he at least comes across as very humble. So the look on his face after they did this whole thing calling him Yoda looked a little uncomfortable. Oh, was this the song before his – he was keynote? So that was Eric Bramlett then. Probably. That's, that's my buddy Eric who always writes a, the, a, an original parody song oh, before the, the keynote. He's amazing. And the amazing thing about Keller then, he literally just pulled out a stool, sat on a stool, and just talked. Well, have you ever seen, I know this is what we're talking about. Have you ever seen that photo of his, uh, his preaching notes? It's a no. single sheet. You've never seen this? Uh-uh. Okay. You talk. I'm going to, I'm going to pull up on my laptop and show it to you and get your reactions. Okay. It's okay. going to make you angry. Well, Tim Keller, he, uh, he, an Instagram account, whether it's him or somebody Instagramming for him, right? Tim Keller, uh, wrote this, uh, his Instagram is Tim Keller NYC cause he planted churches in New York city did a lot of great work in New York City. His churches continue to do great work there. Uh, you ready for it? I Here am. we go. He writes this. The Bible does not show us story after story of, quote, heroes of the faith hmm. who go from strength to strength. Instead, we get a series of narratives containing figures who are usually not the people the world would expect to be spiritual paragons and leaders. The Bible is not primarily a series of stories with a moral, though there are plenty of practical lessons. Rather... It is a record of God's intervening grace in the lives of people who don't seek it, Mm. who don't deserve it, who continually resist it, and who don't appreciate it after they have been saved by it. Wow. That, I just saw that, and I like, you know, you're kind of scrolling through Instagram, and I was like, I need to stop and kind of savor that one. What, what, uh, what do you think about that? First off, it's a miracle that anything on Instagram could cause anyone to hit pause and actually read it, right? That was maybe the point. Uh, secondly, I think this is a very first for the common good that we're reading something that we saw on Instagram. Is it? I don't know if that makes us cool now. I think it does. Does it? We've moved so we're from the cu- Facebook crowd to the Instagram. So next it's TikTok, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Whatever we're that Snapchat is. the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one needs that. Um, it is the kind of quote that if you had just read it to me and not not revealed who shared it, yeah. uh, Keller would have been in my top three guesses. Oh, just knowing the way that he thinks and believes. Um, I am, though, a big proponent, particularly of that first half. The Bible is not this story of all these heroes. And I, yeah. you know, we were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago where we talk about Christianity sometimes as like increasing independence. And I was like, I think Christianity is the opposite. Yes. Actually, I think the more mature we are in our faith, it's, it's increased dependence on Christ, the Holy Spirit, on each other, on community. And that's so counterintuitive. And I like uh Whatever he says right here. Instead, we get a series of narratives containing figures who are usually not the people the world would expect to be spiritual paragons and leaders. Yes. That's so hard for us to wrap our brains around because, especially for you and I who grew up in the church and we preach sermons every year, we already know how a lot of these stories end. So I know for me, I sometimes even like in my mind's eye, I'm translating this person 
and they already look like a hero in my yes. head because I yeah. know where it's going. Yeah. It's really, really, even this last Sunday, we were talking about Jesus having a meal with the tax collector. I don't think we really get a sense of how hated he was yep. because we already know it's Matthew, the yep. gospel writer. Yep. And Jesus does this incredible work in his life. And like, no, no, no. This is why I honestly think some of the work that Dallas Jenkins is doing is so helpful because it's getting into the narrative of like how unimpressive some of these people were, how jacked up some of these people were. Yeah. And it wasn't just three verses in a Bible story. Like this person did not look to anybody like what we would expect a hero to look like. And so for me, the challenging thing always is, okay, who are the people today right. that I would put in that category right. that like, well, and we would never say it, but like maybe in your gut, you're like, yeah, God's probably not going to use them for yeah. much. You know, yeah. we, again, everyone knows better than to say that, but, but don't we sometimes it, treat people like that? Sure. And we get enticed by like, oh, buddying up to the most powerful person in the room all the time. Yes. Or we're always trying to sit at the table with the leader, with the guy with all the influence. And Jesus seems to always do the opposite. Yep. And not just Jesus. I think <laughs> throughout Genesis to Revelation, we see that theme continued. And yeah. I think that's really timely. No, that's good. I, I feel like when we look at uh, Jesus's disciples, like Jesus could have chose any disciples he wanted, right? Yeah. Like, there's a big crowd, but then there's the inner circle. There's the 12. He could have chose anybody. Like anybody's right, basically right. going to follow Jesus around. And Jesus chooses the most uneducated, lowest of the rung, the fishermen. Right. Uh, the people who who skimmed all the fishermen's money and profits were tax collectors. Yes. Chooses tax collectors. Right. The people who ta- hated tax collectors to the point that they wanted to kill them were the zealots. So, oh, Jesus, like, let's bring Simon the zealot in here. <laughs> Why not? Let's do this. Like, I always try to, I've tried to say this a couple times in sermons is like, just picture that campfire. Like, right now, I think we sanitize it and go, oh, they're the disciples. They all were buddies. They're singing Kumbaya. They followed right. Jesus. These right. guys would have hated each other like you got to think every now and then like the tax collector probably pulled uh, jesus i'd be like really a zealot we're gonna do this again we're gonna do this and <laughs> this it, smart and i think jesus was jesus does things not happen by happenstance and but you know they're like oh i think peter's the best guy i could have right now he's making a point right yeah, like right. he picked just the most ragtag crew and like those are the people he's taught and built into and I think you make a great point. Do we still do that today or do we more likely do what the Pharisees do and discard these types of well, people? And and maybe discard is too strong a word, but like the team that you just described that Jesus assembled, if I could say this way, is probably a lot more diverse than most of our churches. Yeah. And I get stylistic um, desires and proclivities and that's sort of how we gravitate into our you know, pretty homogenous corners. And so I get why that happens, yeah. but I do think if we really take the ministry and life of Jesus seriously and not just the death resurrection part. They're like, yeah. Oh, he was saying something here by eating here, by having conversation here, by talking to the woman at the well, by stopping and talking to the blind beggar. All of those things are not insignificant. And we jump right to the miracle and we jump right to the resurrection and yeah. we assume, yeah, but I don't need my life to actually look like Jesus. And I love how he, Keller ends this because he talks about the people who don't appreciate it after they've been saved by it. Obviously that's not true all the time, but I love maybe love is too strong a word. I really appreciate that the Bible includes some of the lack of appreciation yeah. or the people that continue to fail. It isn't this. The doubts it, that come. Right. Yeah. It doesn't read like a Hallmark movie at all, yeah. which, again, I think should reflect the way our churches and our small groups look like. When someone actually really screws up or fails to believe something they believed two years ago, that that should give us at least some encouragement. Like, right. yeah, that's what it looked like then, too. Yeah, yeah. And we keep forging together. Like, it doesn't need to be this, like... This, like you said, this sanitized experience where we all just sing kumbaya, yep. because that's not that's not real. Yep. yep. 
Remember, Peter denies him after three years of being with him. Right, right. <laughs> Not in right. the beginning. Hey, yeah. before, before I forget, I just yep. texted it to you. Oh, I want, you did? I want, I, want to, I want to see your reaction. This is Tim Keller's preaching notes um, before a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> we need to put that on our Facebook page because that is... It's a single page, and it's absolute you can't bonkers. Make, you can't make anything of that. No. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, we would love for you to check that out. Check that out on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show uh, or Twitter at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, uh, somebody who worked under Keller for a while is somebody whose blog we quote all the time, a guy by the name of Scott Sauls, and we're going to talk about something he wrote uh, just the other day. That's next here on the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, if for nothing else than to see the picture of Tim Keller's preaching notes that you just sent me. (laughs) I am like, I I can't get my mind around it. Yeah, it's He's literally pulling vowels out of words to save space. It doesn't make sense. It's like hieroglyphics, man. It's nuts. It's hieroglyphics. What if, like, like... generations from now like they, they unearth our, our culture and that's what they come up with first like ooh, how did they write i think generations from now if they unearth keller notes there are worse things they could find that's a good point that would be okay Although now clearly they can't read them. that's true we're in his current time frame and we can't, we read, them. can't read them that's funny uh, at twitter at common good talk you can find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast well uh there is a pastor and an author who is out of Tennessee, uh, but he was on staff with Keller for a long time. Keller was his mentor, and his name is Scott Sauls. If you've listened to this show at all uh, for any amount of time, uh, there's probably nobody we've quoted more uh, than whether it be a tweet right? or blogs from Scott. Feels like it. I don't have the data on that. but PJ, uh, <laughs> get us the data. Yeah, get that data over there. <laughs> you can have it by next segment. I'm on my desk. <laughs> He didn't even look up. No, not interested. <laughs> uh, but he wrote a, uh, a blog that came out in InTouch uh, magazine, InTouch.org, uh, about a couple days ago called The Power of Small. Hmm. The Power of Small. As somebody who's 5'8", five, 5'8 eight, five, eight and a half, I, I like things titled this way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew we were going to bring this back to you in 20 seconds flat. Saul's writes, in my earliest days as a minister, somewhere around my mid-20s, an older mentor challenged me to, quote, Attempt something so great for God that it is doomed for failure unless God be in it. Embracing his challenge, I began to dream of great things for the future. I envisioned becoming the kind of leader whose ministry would produce scores of new disciples, plant growing and healthy churches, provide community and encouragement for key city leaders, and serve as a resource for kingdom impact beyond my own context. Eventually, it all worked out. I would also be invited, if it all worked out, I would also be invited to write books, speak at conferences, minister from a national platform. That, I would tell myself, is something that's so big that only God could accomplish it because I surely don't have what it takes to accomplish these things. Since that time, and by the grace of God, most of these things have actually occurred in my life. And yet, and yet, while such uh, BHAG, you and I were discussing how much... uh, how that how we don't understand how this phrase has gotten around <laughs> it's called a big hairy audacious goals are not necessarily a bad thing i'm not sure the advice once offered to me is the same advice that i would give younger ministers today 
The older I get and the more finely attuned I become to scripture, the more convinced I am that the real action in God's kingdom is not so much on the big platform or in the halls of power, but rather through quiet, daily, ordinary faithfulness. Devotion lived out in local communities all over the world. So let's stop there. And um, you work in a in a church and an organization that's known for some big goals and having accomplished them, right? Like I knew you were going here for this. No, but not in a bad way. Like I've said, hopefully people know this. I have a huge amount of respect for not just your church, but the whole organization mm. your church is a part of. Uh, and so when I read things like uh, produce scores of disciples, plant growing and healthy churches, provide community and encouragement for key city, you guys are actually doing that. Yeah. Uh, so when you read an article like that, is it like you resonate with the article while at the same time this, or is there a dissonance? How do you wrestle with it personally, but also in the organization you're part of? Well, it is, I think, worth mentioning that Scott, more than most people, does an incredible job. Like he even says this towards the end of the article. So for these and many other reasons, while the greater, more visible and grand scale achievements in the kingdom deserve their due, yep. like the whole article is laced with one-offs like that. Yep. He's saying, hey, I'm not railing on this not either. Not one or the other. It isn't one or the other, which maybe that's part of our goal even for the show, is that sometimes it isn't an either-or. I think Dave and John, uh, Dave and John Ferguson, who founded the church 30 years ago, have incredible apostolic entrepreneurial giftings. They do. They really, And I can just say this with confidence, like knowing them personally and watching how they work, um, they just have it. And I've met so many other people that just want to be them and it is sometimes a hard conversation to say, hey, those are good people to admire. Yeah. I don't think you have that wiring. And you don't have to be despondent about that. Yeah. Like yeah. God has equipped you in a, in a totally different way, in ways that I think the more that you lean into that, the better off your church will be and your city will be and your family will be. And, yeah. and so that's sometimes where it gets tricky, where I think we create these celebrities in our mind that we assume... One, we assume they got their success overnight. Two, we assume that, like, well, if they got it, I should get it. Yep. The other irony of reading something like this from someone like a Scott Sauls or last segment with a Tim Keller is they're both already kind of celebrities. Yes. It's the whole reason that we're reading it in the first place. So we that, read it every week. Right. Yes. And that, so that gets kind of dichotomous, too, because it, it is sort of the, I think the example that I've given is like, you know, the, the keynote pastor at a conference in front of 80,000 people saying, pay attention to the little things. Yes. You're like, well, that's easy for you to say you're in an amphitheater like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. for the rest of us who are, you know, sometimes feeling like, well, you know, what's the average church size in America? It's still like, I think, 95 people. I think that's right. So if that's the vast majority of like people in full-time vocational ministry, how do we really help them believe this and also live into it and not just say, okay, yeah, I believe that. But ultimately, though, if I was given 40,000 people, I'd be thrilled. Yes. yes and I think I'm it's okay to be thrilled. I'm not saying not to, but I just think it's uh, it's it's a, it's a tricky needle to thread. It is because it's. I think you make a great point that it's not like – Big and audacious and goal setting and accomplishing things is bad. Totally. And tiny church and doing the small things is good. I think it's a both and, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and I say this again from your organization as someone who's been blessed by the Exponential Conference and by uh, various other things, by the books they've written and all this kind of things. Um, but I think if the goal is to be celebrity and big, Saul's makes some good points in here, then as a pastor or you know, as a leader of whatever, right. you start to feel the need to pretend. Well, oh, that's if, a good point. If I yeah. don't have it, well, I better pretend that I've got it. So I don't have any flaws. I don't, you right. know, I, I have no inadequacies. I, you know, we're all, we're constantly moving towards something. Maybe you're not, maybe your church is good the way it is. You're not moving towards something bigger mm -hmm. at all times. 
as somebody who started a church and has gone through growing pains myself, like that is mm. one of the struggles. I've talked to you about this before. Is like always having the this goal of what's next and never enjoying what's present, right? What's now, uh, and that could be uh, a real danger. The other danger in this is the person in the ninety-five person church going. See, I'm doing the Lord's work. I don't need to really dream. I don't need to That's work true. towards anything. That's true. God's calling me to just preach every week and love my, which might be true. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean we're not trying to reach more people and, and do this. There is a real, uh, there there is kind of a real balance in this right now that I think Saul's does well. But I, it's a struggle as a pastor, and and I think that. One that we often probably don't get right. Well, and the pastor needs to, regardless of their context, needs we need to constantly be pursuing the wisdom of community. Yes. So I think where we get most stuck is on either end of the spectrum that you just gave, right? So like the self-glorifying, we're not growing and I'm fine with that because God intends church to be small. Well, that might also be pride just in a different form. I think the best way that we protect against pride is we have people who like can tell us the hard truths in love and say, hey, right now... um, I think you're actually just being lazy, yes. right? And, <laughs> yes. Or, or vice versa to the to the megachurch pastor, like, hey, um, it feels like feels like maybe the Lord is leading you to take some more risks. Like you're a little nervous about like losing the the thing, the yeah. product that you built, yeah. and that that can go either way. You didn't have to be a big church or a little church to fall into either of those traps. And I think that's the whole point to lean into what your actual giftedness is, and yeah. to do that apart from some sort of like Damascus Road experience. I think we need each other yeah, to good. call that out, and I think. This is the thing that I've experienced in the last 15 years is the older that I get, the more comfortable I am with the stuff I'm just not good at, yeah. which used to drive me crazy yeah. in my early 20s. Like, oh, no, but that guy's good at that. I want to be good at that. Yep. And I fell flat on my face about a thousand times until <laughs> a good friend finally picked me up, dusted me off and said, hey, you're just not good at that. Yeah. And that's OK. You have these things. Yeah. Lean into those things. That's and I good. think that's. I think that's part of how we like learn to protect ourselves a little bit from the traps on either side. And Saul's in the article here, he, especially at the end, talks about just the value of understanding our weaknesses. Yes. And that the message of Scripture over and over again is that it's about God's power working through the weaknesses of his followers and not about our power. That's so, right. That's right. I'd love for you to interact with this on our Facebook page. That is at The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, an article from the Gospel Coalition, Three Ways to Spoil the Gospel. Oh, boy. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us today. Uh, Before we jump into this article we're going to talk about, let me tell you about uh, some free stuff. Oh, I love free stuff. Free stuff. Ready? I'm listening. Date night, Ian, needs to be more than just dinner and a movie. Could not agree more, no, although no. I would can't take, include dinner I was and say, a movie. I would take dinner and a movie right now. Yes. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Last movie you saw, what was it? Out. Last movie you went out to oh, see. Oh, White Boy Rick. Is that actually a movie? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. It's okay. about it's about my hometown. Oh, okay. You're going to ask me what the which one, and I actually don't remember the last one I saw. That's oh, I should, I should, you're right. I, that's what I should do. When was the last time you saw a movie out, Brian? <laughs> Thanks for teeing me up. Like, the funny thing is, my <laughs> wife and I are in a stage of life where we could see more movies. I was going like, to say, yeah. I, what's keeping you back, man? It might literally have been Bohemian Rhapsody, but that was way back in the winter. Yeah, you should do uh, like a studio movie grill. Have you? Oh, I do like studio I movie I do grill. too, man. I'm I such do. a sucker for that. Although then I, I get cheap and I'm like, can't buy any food here, kids. What? <laughs> no, you get... You know they have a Groupon. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you were wearing that. Group. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> the face that Brian Frost oh, just yeah, gave yeah, me, yeah, like, yeah. child, I know. I know. I'm aware of There are group odds regularly for Studio Movie Grill and uh, uh, Hollywood Played Palms. Against Sports. Oh, Played Against Played Sports? Played Against Sports, There yes. is? Oh, yeah. Well, I know what I'm doing. It's uh, buy a $10 Groupon for $20 worth of merchandise. Are you serious? Yeah, regularly at Played Against Sports. In fact, I tried to buy it the other day that said I'd bought it too many times. <laughs> I'll I buy one e- for you. I didn't even know you could exceed your limit of Groupons for things like this. And it said, you've exceeded. I was like, what? This is the first I've ever heard of that happening yeah, to anybody. Okay. <laughs> it happened to me the other day. Because anyway. What do you buy so much at Play It Against Sports that you oh, use it? Oh, when a kid, soccer season comes and you need cleats. Some people go to like where they can get like, you know, $80 cleats. Uh, Play children, It Against Sports. Not Brian Fromm. No. <laughs> can we get them to spy? You're just so interested in playing it again. Can That's I one. tell you? Okay. This, over and over. Again. We might. This might be lose your job moment because this story might be inappropriate. I love this setup. My, my, you should have seen my wife's face when my son was playing baseball. Oh, no. And I went to play against sports to buy him a cup. And, oh, no. But what you don't know is it played against sports. They do sell some things new, and that's one of the things they sell new. I am uncomfortable. And I knew that, but when I told her I was going to play against sports to buy a cup, she looked at me like, I'm so disturbed by you at this moment. How many times have you gotten that look from your wife, by the way? Today? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you said like a clicker, yeah. like a tally. I got that, 17? But anyway, date night needs to be more than just dinner and a movie. Amen. So the free ebook Date Night Ideas by Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley is filled with 52 great date night suggestions for you and your spouse. Is any of them played against sports? No. <laughs> Download this focus on the family resource now at 1160hope.com keyword marriage. You'll also have a chance to take a focus on marriage assessment and enter to win an all-inclusive retreat. Wow. Download your free ebook now at 1160hope.com keyword marriage. It took us more than three minutes just to get through that. <laughs> Good stories with it. You know? Somehow we went from what's your last date to group on to buying cups that played against sports. Yeah, that was a real journey. That, that was fun. <laughs> that was good. At least for us. Yes. Anyway, at the gospelcoalition.org, it's a site that uh, regularly posts um, theological articles, other articles, tends to be pretty conservative in its theology. Um, I'm going to get his name wrong, but uh, actually, who's the author in this? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't print that my version. Tabiti uh, Enyabwile. Is that good? Did I get that close? Is his last name Cher? Or is that no, just that's a- just on there. That's <laughs> funny how that's written. <laughs> he wrote an article called Three Ways to Spoil the Gospel. Three Ways to Spoil the Gospel. And uh, that's an interesting topic because we want to be as faithful as possible uh, to the gospel uh, and not do things to it that help that cause people to not understand the good news or to add to it or to whatever. And so he's trying to say, uh, here's three ways that we, that, that there are many ways to spoil the gospel, but here's three. It's a six page article. We'd encourage you to go read it, but I'll read them and then love to get, uh, you can kind of unpack them for us. Okay. Number one, he says one such way is by addition, by adding to the gospel, Christ plus mosaic law as the gospel for the Gentiles and the book of Galatians then addresses this error. So this adding stuff to the gospel. I'm curious your thoughts just on that, but also how do we do that in our day and age? We're not adding mosaic law, circumcision, these things, but we certainly add to the gospel a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's um, as cut and dry. I've heard this sentiment a lot, and I think when you speak in memes or tweets, there is 
a temptation, I yes. think, to reduce what is a much more complicated reality. Mm-hmm. Because, again, much like some of the Care for the Earth stuff we were talking about earlier, I think most of us would agree, right and left, progressive and conservative. Yes. Yeah, we, we don't need to be adding to this. This is Christ's work is complete and blah, 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 blah. Um, I think the way that we sometimes do is actually far more nuanced than just simply, it's not as as blunt and obvious as, and let me add one more command for you listening. Let me yeah. let me add one more thing that I yeah. think Jesus meant to say. It's never that overt. Yep. I think it's much more subtle That's good. with regards to expectations of our community or the things that we yep. place on people that don't exist in the Bible. Uh, Once we, they accept the good news, then the stuff we start adding to them after the yeah, fact. Yeah, right. Which even that gets tricky because in in the early church, there were expectations. Once you were baptized, there was, I mean, Jesus even said, um, obey my commands. Yep. There is an obedience yep. component. So I think when we lose that and say, hey, it's just it's just this equation and nothing else after that matters. That's also not biblical. But what I think uh, typically like a gospel coalition type uh, resource would say is that when we add things that uh, are hindrances or obstacles to salvation, I think I think that's mostly what they're speaking. When they say it's this plus this will will save you, um, that's much more. That's much different than um, hey, being a part of this community means that we're accountable to each other in some different ways. And when people want to say, well, hey, don't add anything to the gospel, I'm like, no, there's a there's a lot of instruction in there about how we're actually to live together and how we're actually to deal with sin and how we're to deal with um, rebuke and Howard. I mean, th- that stuff is in there. And I think to say now you're adding that's, that's where it tends to get a little wonky. For yeah. Me. And it's interesting. I just realized he's writing this article, uh, in response to some things John MacArthur wrote about right. him. Right. Uh, especially like MacArthur will say, you know, we add social justice to the gospel and that becomes a little dip. It becomes a little dangerous, right? To be like, nope, uh, yeah. we don't need to do that. So, right. <laughs> so I think you make a great point to say, uh, just be careful not to say just adding stuff is wrong. There's there's things that are at their expectations or things we're expected of us are, as followers yes, of Jesus. Yes. Second, not by surprise, if the first one we do addition, the second one is we do subtraction, subtracting from the gospel. For instance, Christ is divine but not human. This docetic error was the problem facing the original e- uh, readers of John's first letters, First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Literally preached that passage this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this idea of subtraction that, that – uh, taking certain theological underpinnings of the gospel and just kind of going, no, I don't like that one or, or getting rid of that one. Probably a little more subtle as well. I would guess you think. Yeah. I think uh, where that tends to play out a lot is where our struggle and maybe it's, maybe it's a common struggle to, uh, to call out sin. Yeah. To, I mean, we don't, there's not a lot of people clamoring for like discipline or discipleship courses because we know that in some way formation is tough. Yeah. You know, I've, heard people use the analogy of like a like a hammer and a chisel it's chiseling away that which isn't like good for us and so we can you know we can talk about that being a goal of ours but when when we're the one that the chisel is being placed on that can be really uncomfortable so sometimes i think we we end up just being way more lax we're like oh everyone's got their own thing and we're not really accountable to each other at all and we're not accountable to anybody it's about me and jesus and I, i think that can be really dangerous too that's good and the last one is this uh, he says, but the gospel may also be spoiled by a lack of due weight in theological emphasis by giving an element in it either too much or too little assent. A biblical truth may be weighted in a way that skews our thinking about God uh, and the gospel. So uh, our, our theology gets off. So uh, there's a lot in that one. Yeah, uh, We'd encourage you to read it at the Gospel Coalition 
uh, .org. I think the most helpful ones are, what do we add to the gospel? What do we subtract from the gospel? And and what result does that make? Yeah, how do we give it ample weight? Exactly, exactly. Uh, Well, coming up next, uh, the second hour of the show, we're going to have a good old time here. And in fact, we're going to talk about... Uh, I believe a TV show or is it a movie, a documentary, no, a TV show, a TV show mm-hmm. that you are more familiar with than me. Uh, so looking forward to that conversation next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope you're like. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us on this hump day. Hump day. I'm not going to comment. No, that's the greatest commercial, though. It was. Oh, the camel that came out like right in the perfect time for my kids, so oh, they would it? they'd be going around like home day. Geico, FedEx, what Geico? It was Geico. Okay, that's Geico. So glad to have you join us. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show, and on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Well, yesterday you were telling me about a an HBO show uh, that, not surprisingly, I was completely unaware of. Sorry, I was like. <laughs> Sometimes when it comes to pop culture, I can be borderline Amish, but you know, borderline Amish. You can be like, "Hey, did you watch the Mets game last night?" <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> uh, but there's a there's a new comedy on HBO called The Righteous Gemstones uh, that that you wanted to touch on a little bit. Tell us about that show. So, first disclaimer. Yep. As you mentioned, it's on HBO, and this show mm-hmm. takes. Full advantage of its HBO ness. Of the HBO ness. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all sorts of questionable material. Worse than questionable. I'll just, can I get all of that out in yes. the open? Just so anyone the that's disclaimer is out. I'll probably make it a couple of times because it is rough. Which just, is fair because you, you don't want people to now be like, oh, I'm going to watch this. Oh, and then all of a sudden they're like, show my uh, Christians. Right. It is rough gotcha. for sure. But the, uh, the show is. Uh, it's by Danny McBride, and I don't know if you're familiar with Danny McBride at all. He's done a lot of, um, I mean, his, his lane is actually pretty raunchy in general, but gotcha. he wrote and directed it, and uh, it's about sort of this mega corrupt, mega church mm. family legacy um, started by John Goodman. John Goodman and his, uh, you learned very early in the first episode, his, his wife has passed, but they sort of launched this ministry, and it's grown to this like mega insane thing, and he's got... These two sons that are kind of vying for the vying for the next seat um, in succession here, and then a, a daughter who sort of gets left out okay. in the cold a little bit. And uh, so no, you have none John- of this sounds like it ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So you have John Goodman, who I just think is a fascinating actor. I think his yep. career is so bizarre, um, and the fact that he just kind of continues to remain relevant. And then Danny McBride is the older brother, and then Adam Devine. I don't know if you're familiar with Adam Devine mm-hmm. and Workaholics, and he was on Modern Family. He's got a stand-up oh, thing. Oh, I know so Modern Family. They're the two brothers kind of kind of vying for position here. And um, it was interesting because he did an interview with Dak Shepard. Do you know who Dak Shepard is? I do. And I just looked up Adam Devine. I really like Adam Devine. So, okay, yeah. So And so Dak Shepard has a, a podcast. Again, pretty rough in terms of yeah. language. So if, if you're like Googling right now, like just full disclaimer, but he interviews a lot of, uh, a lot of celebrities. It's called The Armchair Expert. And he has this like long form interview with Danny uh, about this specific show. So I'm interested in the show because um, 
it is poking fun at like a lot of the Western ideas of what Christianity looks like and a lot of like the, the mega movements and okay. like, like early in the first episode, there's this shot. I actually got a screenshot of it because uh, it's like it's showing their their like fleet of mansions. <laughs> and there's a sign out front of one of them. And it says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And under it says no trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like some of that kind yes, of commentary. Yes, yes. But so I'm listening to this long interview with him and Dax. And uh, he actually is explaining a little bit of the backstory about why he was interested in a, in a topic like this. So I want you to hear a little bit from him. And this first one is him kind of talking about a story of how the church responded to his mom specifically uh, when he was a kid. So take a listen to that. And then my parents got divorced when I was in sixth grade. and My dad kind of ran out on us. And suddenly it was like, here's my mom who works in a department store at the mall. She's got two kids. We're living in an apartment. And you're you're thinking like, you know, maybe this church that we've donated all this time to will be supportive. And instead, they the people there like basically like turned their back on my mom. Shamed they, her. they shamed her for getting a divorce. And so, you know, I was little. I was I think I was in sixth grade when this happened. But I can remember like seeing my mom and like knowing how much the church meant to her. And now she just didn't even feel like she could enter the church. And so for a few months, she still would drop me and my sister off at church on Sundays to go. And we did it. And then after a few months, it was kind of like, what are we doing? Like, why are we going to this place every Sunday? Like, it's not, you know, it's done. And then we just never went back. And then that was kind of the end of it. And I I remember distinctly having like mixed feelings about that, even at that age where I dread it going to church. I hate it sitting in those sermons for an hour, not being able to do anything and having to just sit there and listen and just like draw pictures. So uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. But then that feeling that you would have when it was over and just knowing that like, yes, the whole day's ahead. And then there was like, when we stopped going, I had this weird, like, I kind of missed it. Like I kind of missed being forced to do something I didn't want to do for an hour. And I, and when I could suddenly just sleep in on Sunday mornings, Sundays like that afternoon, Sunday wasn't quite as special anymore. Yeah, it's like we as a, a species have this kind of implicit desire to repent. Mm-hmm. Like you want to go somewhere and then be like, yeah, I suffered and now I can stop hating myself. So I, I found that That's a lot there. Really fascinating, though, yeah. by a guy who by most standards, if you're familiar with Danny McBride, maybe you're Googling him right now, like. I don't know necessarily that anyone would know him for any like deep thinking or deep writing. And the show is is certainly poking at some themes that you and I have talked about, particularly with regards to the church. But to learn that a lot of that comes from a deep place of woundedness, that this family that was really deeply invested. And he talks later about, you know, we were the five nights a week family. And then my parents got divorced and him thinking, oh, man, this is when the church is going to be the church. And the opposite happened. And again, this was, you know, a long time ago, but obviously like still has still has affected him. And I'd I'd love to know what Mm. you thought, sort of even just hearing some of the honesty of his experience. Yeah, there's clearly pain back there and in the church doing some wounding, right? Like just not caring for his mom at a point where there was great pain in their family and great need to be cared for uh, had generational impact. Yes. (laughs) Not just on the mom, I'm sure, but on the son and. Now he's probably going to raise his kids in a certain way. Like this is a warning sign for the church. Like, like what are the, what are you doing uh, that is either going to um, point people to Jesus and help them understand the caring and the love of God's people or vice versa. There's pain in there, man. That's hard for sure that he tries to 
almost portray a detachment for it, but the mm-hmm. more he talks about it, it's clearly still there. Yeah, and the thing that he uh, that he says that I find so interesting, because I don't know if you ever saw the movie like Saved. Did you see Saved with Mandy Moore and Macaulay Culkin? That was probably 12 years ago, where it was also kind of making fun of the kind of Christian m- movement as a whole. And you know, I remember seeing interviews with them talking about um, the research that we did was to actually go to these churches and these events. And to be honest, they really, we had already kind of written the script and then we started going to these events and we realized we hadn't gone big enough. Like they mentioned some real strange. And again, this obviously isn't every Christian event. Yes. It's not every church at all. I'm not saying that at all, but it is a really helpful glimpse, I think into how some of this is perceived by people on the outside looking in. Yes. But what I find so interesting about McBride, I want you to hear a little bit more from him because he's very clear to say, we're not shaming religious people. He's like, I think that's so rude to do. We're shaming the people that are exploiting that system for their own monetary or political gain. And I think his perspective on how he threads that needle is, is really, really interesting. Yeah. You know, who knows what happened? I mean, people get outraged over anything. So, I mean, I'm not fearful of people like being outraged. But there's a part of me where, you know, I kind of understand in some ways why there is an outcry sometimes when Hollywood tackles religion. And I thought I was like watching anything I could that have like, well, who else has tried to tackle space in here? I think they make the mistake of like they like make a joke out of what people believe in. Yeah. And I feel like that is just like kind of obnoxious. And it's like, that would piss me off if it's like someone who doesn't understand where I come from or what I believe. Or the value it's adding to my life. Like, I think that that is wrong to do. So I think with this show, it was like, we don't, we're not trying to say anything about what you should believe in and what you shouldn't believe in. We're not trying to comment on the Bible. We're commenting on these like hypocrites who are basically fronting this operation and like basing all their, their value on like these morals and these ideas ideals, but then not adhering to any of them themselves. So I would love to know how you feel about that, because what he's saying is a lot of what we've actually tackled on this show. And it's so interesting to hear it from the perspective of Hollywood. That's again, depicting it in a very pretty blue and crass way. But there, I I don't know. I think there's some truth to that. While not expecting our leaders to be perfect. There is nothing more infuriating than we've had to deal with all these stories than when, uh, when pastors use their position for power and for their own self-advancement. Mm-hmm. And again, you just listen to these guys' voices. They've created a whole show around this now, but you yes. listen to their voices and their their stories, and you can see that the of what it did to this guy. Yes, uh, right. And now, uh, yeah, we see it all the time. It, it makes me worried for the church because you hear story after story after story of the dangers of when those in power uh, cut away and, and use it for their own power. It's it's just sad. I think it's inspiring to try and do better. Well, it's an interesting show. Uh, and, and what's interesting is also that these shows are popping up more and more, which might say something about uh, the reputation of the church. We'd love to hear more from you at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about a tweet that we saw that we found very helpful and very interesting. That is next on the Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. We hope you're having a good day. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, you can always listen to us via podcast. Via? 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 Hmm. Via. Either? Tomato, tomato? See, I think it's either, but you know, someone called me out the other day. What was the word? I said data instead of data. Mm. And people were like, ooh. And I was like, hey, is that a fancy way <laughs> to say it? <laughs> I also like the tomato tomato. Do you know anyone who calls it a tomato? Yeah, people with accents. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I think that's how the British say it. And that's Yeah. 
The British. <laughs> well, I didn't know you had such strong opinions on yeah, the British. The British. Uh, there was another word. Oh, this was one that actually really caught me off guard. My family, for whatever reason, always called the front area of our house either a vestibule mm-hmm. or a foyer. A foyer, not a foyer. <laughs> so I came to college. I was like, oh, is it in the foyer? And everyone like, ooh, foyer. I'm like, no, no, no. I come from the least fancy. You're misreading. In Detroit, it's the foyer. Oh, from Detroit. I was like, don't say that in Detroit. That's not going to go well for you. The foyer, that's good. It's just things I did not realize I was saying wrong my whole life. Oh, well, you're different. That's true. Well, you could find us on the podcast anywhere you get your podcast Google Play, Apple Podcast, uh, and any other podcast. podcast places go ahead and (laughs) i got lost on that one go ahead and subscribe rate review that helps us um and it helps kind of people find the show more easily uh so go ahead and do that tell all your friends to go ahead and do it too you can find us on facebook at the common good radio show and twitter at common good talk well speaking of twitter uh usually kind of behind the scenes here usually we kind of throw articles each other's way uh, but sometimes we just throw tweets and ideas that people we've seen on Twitter. I'll even pull your tweet sometimes. Just go here. Here you go. Uh, so this is uh, one that you found from somebody named Carlos Rodriguez. Uh, and Carlos wrote this. Um, Jesus knew Lazarus would rise again. Still, he wept. Because embracing pain is not negating faith. It's actually part of being in the likeness of God. So have hope. But don't deny your emotions. Pay attention to them. Feel what you feel and enjoy the coming resurrection. Boom. <laughs> that was good. The tweet doesn't say boom, by nope. the way. Just that I was, added that, was that Brian parenthetically. Prom. Boom. Is that how you end sermons, by the way? Like we make a, <laughs> you make a great point. You just, just the good back. ones. Boom. Just the good ones. Uh, that's funny. Um, so you grabbed this one. And so obviously this tweet stood out to you for, for some reason. So what were your thoughts on it? I think there's a couple of gems here. Uh, we've probably have both preached sermons on Lazarus. Have you? I have. Okay, so it's yes. that's that's a pretty common sentiment. Like, hey, Jesus weeping is uh, is an important part of his ministry. It's an important part of understanding what it means to be Christ followers. Yep. Um, but I do like the line, embracing pain is not negating faith. I and I think this is, again, the nature of Twitter. It's all really, really reduced. So it's kind of why I want to bring it to this segment to kind of unpack it a little bit because I'm curious – the different ways that sometimes we subtly think that embracing pain is negating faith. Because again, it's easy to agree in tweet form, but I want to kind of get at what are the ways that we actually subtly do this in Christianity, in our own marriages, in our families and relationships. One of the ways that I think we do is we downplay how much pain we're actually in because we assume that being a Christian means, well, everything should just be a walk in the park now. And if it's not, then something's either wrong with me or my faith or like quote, didn't take, you know, I've had people say, well, maybe I'm just not praying the right way. That's yeah. why these things are happening to me. And all of these things, I think, all trace back to the same sentimentality that I think a lot, in a lot of ways was birthed out of this hyper-focus on the joy of the Lord. Yes. Meaning the joy of the Lord means that there is no space for sadness. Yep. But you could open to any random page in the Bible. You're going to find pain. Yeah. You're going to find doubt. You're going to find people saying, God, what are you doing? Or God, are you even listening? Are yep. you there? Um, which is, a, 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 for me at least, something that I think is more important now almost than ever because of how much focus we, and I do this myself, how much focus we put on portraying a certain image of ourselves yes. on social media or the way that we appear to our Christian friends on Sunday mornings, even though maybe we were screaming on the way to church. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it it isn't unchristian. In fact, I think his point is it's it's maybe sometimes the most Christian thing to embrace and acknowledge pain to actually feel what we're feeling. And I think yeah. that's where it starts to get so tricky. And it's why I think so many people outside the church are skittish because it seems like, and I know this isn't all of the churches, all the people all the time. It seems like, hey, whatever you're feeling, go ahead and put that on the back burner yep. because Jesus is risen. Yeah. And it and it can look like a dismissal of, I'm just feeling really sad right now mm-hmm. and I'm not really sure what to do about that. I think I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. And I think that churches, need we need to be leading the charge to not just say it's okay for you to feel these things, but it's actually healthy. It's actually a part of being yeah. human and how we bring that to Jesus, I think, is is really, really important. Yeah. What When you've preached Lazarus and Jesus raising Lazarus, what have you done with Jesus weeping? What have, what is uh, what is going on there? Because he's right. Jesus knows. He's going in there going, I know how this is going to end. You're Jesus right. has got a plan. He's gonna, right. uh, Jesus didn't go there for a funeral, right? right. Jesus went to write. So where's the, what, what do you do with the fact that even in knowing that Jesus still felt deep pain and wept? Well, even before that, you know, he, he speaks to Mary and Martha very differently, too. He, mm-hmm. he approaches them in very different terms. And I think that has applications all across the board. Even we've talked about how you talk to your kids differently. Yeah. Like my kids are wired differently. One of them needs to I need a, a little softer approach. Others, I need to be really direct. Yep. And that's just you knowing your kids. I feel like we see that in how Jesus responds to Mary and Martha. Yeah. His posture and what he says or doesn't say to them is vastly different. It's super fascinating to go see. Um, the other thing that I find interesting is that there's a, a word in that exchange when he actually is going to raise Lazarus that is maybe better translated as anger. It's like Jesus's anger at death. Mm. Like it's, it's like he's staring down a real figure. Someone yeah. who's done wrong that has in his mind, no place here, but the weeping piece I find so interesting because the word weep there isn't like sniffles. It's not like a, mm-hmm. you know, a single like cinematic tear on it. Like it's ugly cry. Yeah. And what you said is I think so fascinating because he knows how this story's going to end, and yet that doesn't stop him from like really feeling the pain of his friend here. And I think that's often the struggle, I think, in Christianity because, and maybe in the same way, maybe this is how we would tie it together. We know the end of the story, so we sometimes tell people, like, you know, you don't need to feel sad in this right now yep. because, you know, ultimately we have the victory. And yep. I think Jesus doesn't model that type of ministry at right. all, even though he knows, very practically speaking, that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He still enters into the pain of his friend. And I think if that's if that's how Jesus chose to minister, maybe maybe we need to take some cues from that. Yeah, it's interesting. When we print out these tweets, you end up getting all a lot of the replies. And somebody replied, and this is, kind of gets at kind of this dismissing of Jesus's emotion and our emotion. Somebody wrote, Jesus was weeping in response to the unbelief which he encountered. It would have made little sense for Jesus to have wept over a death nullified, especially given his counsel mm. to the guests and mourners that there was no need to weep. Unbelief grieves God. So, But I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what this story is about. And you asked earlier, uh, what, how do we do this? And then you touched on it, and I think it's a big one. Um, I think that, think about, um, you and I have both said we've been to counseling, marriage counseling or individual mm-hmm. counseling. Yeah. Have you ever said that to somebody and gotten kind of like a sideways look like what you're wait, why would you do that? Like there's kind of dismissing it of of a Christian's need to go talk to somebody and to unpack what's going on, because, you know, you just kind of need Jesus. You're good. And then yeah. there's this denial of of that that 
one of my favorite things that people preach sometimes at Easter is like, it was about the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter right, Sunday. Right. And that, that we're kind of living in that, yeah. kind of the already yeah, not yeah, yet. Yeah. And it doesn't do us any good to to say, hey, there's not pain in this world. There is. And there is a coming resurrection uh, where, where none of this stuff exists. But the truth of the matter is, is it exists now. Well, yeah, I don't know that I've gotten necessarily outright, like, yeah. remarks about it. But you can certainly read on some people's face, yeah. which is maybe less a comment about... Oh, I didn't realize that you believed in witch doctors, but it's more like, oh, I didn't think that a Christian leader would. Yeah. I think sometimes that's the that's the unfortunate expectation is that, well, if you have a microphone or a platform, then you you're the target for a lot of people. It's like, oh, that's what I want my marriage to look like. And for us to say, like, oh, no, my my marriage needs a lot of work, too. Like, and we need to go and talk to someone professionally about it. And that's we don't have to be we don't have to feel uncomfortable about that. And I think. The interesting thing about Jesus weeping, because he does, you know, I think before the triumphal entry, um, mm-hmm. he's weeping over Jerusalem. And I, think a, and I think a big part of that is they missed it. Yeah. Yeah. They were expecting Jesus to be this this military victor. And yes. he's like, oh, man, they still think they still want me to be something that I, I never intended to be. Yeah. So maybe that guy has some point there, but I actually don't think that's what's going on here with Lazarus. Yeah. I think he's feeling the full weight of their humanity, that death, unfortunately, still has this hold, this gravity. And he's like, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. That's good, man. That's good. Uh, we'd love your feedback on this. You can do it on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, going to talk about a new poll that comes out from The Wall Street Journal and NBC News that teaches us some interesting things about different generations. That is next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, glad to have you joining us today on this Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. Okay, we're almost there. The weekend. can see it out there. I'm going. I know you make fun of me for talking about the weekend. but No, it's not that. <laughs> but I just am holding on. I feel like you started saying that on Monday. And then you're like, it's Monday. Look into the weekend, coming. though. Almost, almost everybody's the working for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of us are preaching this week. We, we learned that is that is true. Does that change your week leading in? Does it feel different or not really? Uh, no, not really. No, no. Okay. I, I uh, there's a couple of things I do. Like if I'm teaching, I send out like uh, some coaching audio to all of our teachers uh, on the weekends that I'm teaching. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I'm not doing that. So there's a little pe- a couple of pieces, but I, you know, but it doesn't change meetings. your mindset. Like, <laughs> I don't think so. That's okay. a good question. I, I, I fill all of those slots with meetings and stuff anyway. So yep. it never feels like, oh, I got all this free time. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. Makes my week just feel different. Really? But, but you, this is, goes back to what we talked about before, uh, many times that you guys collaboratively prepare, whereas I'm kind of still more that's a good point. prepping on my own. So, I'm still writing talks and everything. It just isn't for no this doubt, weekend. No yeah. doubt. You're, you're much better at being way ahead. So the, the, I can't take any credit for that, by the way. I, you take some of the credit. <laughs> There's an infrastructure in place that I am very, very grateful for. Because yep. that's not in my wheelhouse to be that kind of organized. And so because I'm probably a little more last minute than it changes that makes sense. my week. That but, makes sense. Uh, speaking of differences, here we go. A new poll out of Wall Street Journal and NBC News. Uh, talks about found some interesting differences, particularly uh, between millennials and Gen Z. Uh, so here we go. Let me read it for you. The importance of patriotism, faith in God and having children is significantly lower among millennials and Generation Z compared to previous generations. In a new poll conducted by The Wall Street Journal and NBC News, nearly 80 percent of people aged 55 to 91 said that being patriotic is important to them. 
while only 42% of millennials and Gen Z or those aged 18 uh, to 38 said the same. 30% of millennials and Gen Z said religion was important compared to over 75% of baby boomers with just over 30% of millennials and Gen Z saying it was important to even have children. Areas where the younger generation had placed a higher importance compared to boomers were tolerance for others and self-fulfillment, with financial security being almost tied between the two age groups. Interesting. The importance of hard work was above 80% among all age groups. And so if you look at this article, there is a great picture of all the different ones. And it says there's an emerging America where issues like children, religion and patriotism are far less important. And in America, it's the emerging generation that calls the shots about where the country is headed, said Bill Mickenturf, a Republican pollster who conducted the survey with Democratic pollster Jeff Horwitt. Similarly, a Gallup poll conducted around Independence Day this year found that only 45 percent are, quote, extremely proud to be an American, which was the second straight year that the percentage dipped below 50 percent. There's a lot to chew on in this poll, and it's just data, right? It's not necessarily coming from one way or the other how you read it uh, is influenced but which one of these uh is it the whole thing does it surprise you are there individual parts of it that surprise you i think the one that surprises me the most is that um they were about the same when it comes to financial security that's Mm. intriguing to me because it feels like you know david kinnaman's at name ring a bell no so he's uh he's the head of barna oh okay uh, certainly aware of barna yeah so he, he he's written a couple of books particularly about People who had left the church or were outside of the church. Mm-hmm. You lost me. And oh, was, yes, what yes, was yes. the other one? I remember even reading that 10, 15 years ago, and it felt like some of what they were feeling or seeing in the data was that this new generation, which is now a little different 15 years later, was just not as interested in climbing the financial ladder. Um, experiences were a much higher value, which was, you know, so like, bonuses and raises didn't incentivize nearly as much as time off did. Yes. Um, which I thought was interesting. But to see now this data say that, you know what, when it comes to financial security, though, they actually are kind of neck and neck, which is a strange thing that that would be the thing that unifies us. You know, the mm. whole article is sort of painting a picture of how not divided, but how differently we see the world and how we're motivated by different things. And again, painting with very, very broad brushes here for money to be the one thing that like people in their 80s and people in their 20s could kind of come together and say, yes. that's the thing, though, that we still hold in high regard. I don't know. I, find, I just find that really interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, too, that uh, I don't know why. What What do you think is driving this difference in patriotism? Because when you look at it, that's the biggest gap uh, between uh, ages 18 to 38 and ages 55 to 91. I actually don't fall in either of these. The, Ooh, nice. Uh, I'm neither a millennial Gen Z nor, according to this, a baby boomer or a silent unicorn. generation. You're a unicorn. Uh, you have me and the other 17-year gap there. Uh, <laughs> and my guess is my generation is going to land in the middle of a lot of these, yeah. right? That it would be you'd see this decline or increase in certain numbers. Uh, but the biggest gap between those two is in patriotism. Uh, and so before getting into the religious ones, uh, what do you think is going on there? Well, so it also is the biggest gap between Democrats and Republicans. So it's kind of the benefit of the side by side. Well, not only that. Okay, let's jump into that. Okay. And people, you should look at this. If we put on our Facebook page or something, you should look at the pictures because the millennial versus boomer and Democrat versus Republican is almost a mirror image of itself. Yeah. yeah. Which is telling you the millennials Gen Z are saying they're Democrats. And they I don't think that's new, though. I, I don't I, either. But man, it's identical. Yeah, it is, it is pretty point. wild. It's identical. So. 
Um, but anyway, patriotism, don't think there's anything behind that other than uh, why is it that the older generation, you think, feels more patriotic? Why do I think they're more patriotic? Um, or at least feel put in importance upon patriotism. Yeah, I think it's probably the exact same reasons that we're, we saw that 20, 30, 40 years. I just watched a documentary on Woodstock. Oh, uh, like, I see what you're saying. Even just some of the rhetoric from then, I'm like, oh, yeah, but those are the people now. So you're saying these kids are going to become maybe. I think that is probably more than likely, to be honest. I think there is something about youthfulness and the things that they are drawn to or the slogans or ideas or propaganda that they rail against. I think, again, painting with a massively broad brush. Yep. There are certainly, obviously, gener- Generation Z, Millennial, Patriotic no Republicans, doubt. for sure. No doubt. Um, but like I think, like what you said, seeing these two next to each other is super fascinating, but not all that surprising, okay. to be honest. And as a pastor, what about the one about belief in God? Does that is that worrisome? I know we know this. We've talked about Barna studies. We had Rick Richardson in here. Um, but to again see it a a that much of a decrease, kind of a twenty five percent decrease in interest or belief in God, uh, is that something that is unsurprising to you uh, or is worrisome? I would love to actually have this person, whoever conducted this, on the show because I actually would be curious if if it is it really belief in God or belief in organized religion uh, or belief in because actually and it, maybe my experience is really limited it, it is really limited and we're in chicago land and that can be a little bit of a bubble for a number of different reasons but i i i wonder if there really is that strong a decline in belief in god or is it really like a lack of faith in institutionalized religion i gotcha i wonder if that distinction because I, I think a lot of people most people just don't separate the two yeah maybe that's what it is maybe there, maybe there's yeah and maybe the poll wasn't intended to actually distinguish the yep, two yep uh, last question for you. What do you think, uh, what does this say about our culture that ages are so different or is this just how it's always been? Oh, I think it's always been this way too. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I think um, when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the challenge or the opportunity for the church is to model a better way because in culture and neighborhoods, you know, you can just choose to ignore each other yep. or to be mad at each other. The church is one of the most unique opportunities for us to really, truly show care and value and dignity to each other. Yeah. And I think sometimes that can come across in the most subtle of ways. I remember at Poplar Creek, you know, I would get questions a lot about how we were able to kind of cultivate this multi-generational ministry. And and I never had a cool answer for anybody. I was yeah. like, yeah, just treat people like they matter because mm. they do. So if there's an issue, the font's too small on the screen because some of your older congregants can't see it, make the font bigger. Like it's not, you yeah. don't have to, you know, die on every hill. And I think sometimes churches, I think it's a great opportunity to, to live multi-generationally and to not have to vote the same and not even to have to believe exactly the same, but to yep. say we're better together. And the, the Sunday morning experience then becomes almost like a laboratory for, mm. okay, so maybe the older generation can be okay with where we have craft coffee now. Like there's yeah. a, and I don't care about it, but there's something that is engaging the young people. I think, that give and take is a really great opportunity for us to sort of be the body of Christ together. It's great. We are under the same lordship of Jesus and we can be different and have different opinions, but uh, our faith in Christ and our love for one another transcends those. And that, that could be a real, like you said, that's an opportunity for the church. uh, If some of these stats are true about our generation as a whole, well, uh, coming up next, we close the show the same way every day. We pop the balloon. Oh, you liked it. See, I know I did not. We're going with it. Uh, John J uh, JP I almost said <laughs> PJ we're going to go with uh, pop the balloon that's now the new segment we're calling it 
So if you could come back with like a balloon uh, sound. No, thank you. Please don't do that. <laughs> that will frighten me. That will frighten Ask you. and you shall receive. Oh, boy. British so John. These, these crazy stories from the internet coming up next as we close the show here on The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. It's the time of the show where we end with just some insanity from our producers, PJ, from Keith, from when they just pick so- uh, stories that we have never seen. And uh, we always say, a little disclaimer, if it insults you, it insults us. That's all. We didn't you have 52 date ideas first? Was there a- Did you know, Ian, that there are 52 great date suggestions? Do you know where you'd find them? Um... Google in the ebook Date Night Ideas by Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley. I think it's pronounced a book, <laughs> right? It's just one word. So here's a question for you. Okay. If it's 52 great date suggestions in an ebook called Date Night Ideas by Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, how much mm-hmm. money would you pay for that? Oh gosh, hundreds. Yep, it's free. Get out free of Dodge from Focus on the Family. You want to know how you do it? Uh, I have to sell my firstborn. Download it. Just download it now. Way at 1160hope.com. There's a keyword there. What would you guess it is? Oh, it's probably transubstantiation. Marriage. Even easier. <laughs> Type in marriage at 1160hope.com and get your free ebook there. I think I will. All right. First story is yours. First story is mine. One of these days, we're going to change it up and have the driver actually Why? go first. Why would we do that? I don't know. Oklahoma. Man's pickup truck stolen as he robs a business. (laughs) Washington police say that a man who called the cops to report his truck had been stolen was committing a crime of his own at the time. William Kelly called 911 after his vehicle was taken from a parking lot just before 6 a.m. on Sunday, August 25th. When police arrived, they reviewed nearby surveillance video, which captured a man on a 10-speed bicycle riding up to his 1992 Chevy truck. Awesome. The man found the keys sitting on the front seat and drove away in the maroon pickup truck. As the officers continued to investigate, they discovered that Kelly's car was stolen while he was busy robbing a business across the street. Authorities did not say what Kelly was accused of stealing, nor did they identify the company he allegedly stole from. He was taken into custody on a previous warrant and hit with a new burglary charge. Officials are still trying to locate the person who stole Kelly's truck. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. (laughs) That was actual audio from Kelly. There you go. California. Man arrested for allegedly shooting arrows at vehicles. Were you in California? I was not. Hmm. I was earlier this summer, but no arrows. I was going to say, you were. Uh, A (laughs) California man remained in jail Monday after being arrested over allegedly shooting arrows at vehicles on the street from his truck. Jathan Frank Musella was arrested Friday afternoon as officers served a search warrant at his home and seized several bows, bolts, and arrow tips. Five days earlier, authorities received a report of a man pointing and shooting a bow and arrow into the street and at vehicles while sitting at the tailgate of his truck. Deputies responded to the scene and interviewed Musala, who had bows and arrows with him. While the officers did not find him using them and did not see any damage, detectives followed up on the case. Authorities took Musala into custody without any incident and booked him at the Big Bear Jail on suspicion of willfully projecting an object at a vehicle with the intent of causing great bodily harm. Arrow roulette, baby! <laughs> I just like that it's called Big Bear Jail. Yeah. I, just, I imagine that being like really patronizing. Like, I'm, oh, you're in Big Bear Jail. <laughs> oh, look at you. You're oh, going you to Big Bear. Big Bear. Another California. California, the new Florida. Yes. Uh, 40-person brawl started over beach towel. <laughs> Got it. Oh, man. Raging Waters was shut down. Early Sunday afternoon, after a large fight that started over a beach towel and nearly killed a man. Holy cow. The 40-person brawl began by the Lazy River. That's ironic. 
Lazy River picnic area after a disagreement between two women over who took whose beach towel, said Everest Robillard, the Cal Expo police chief. Christopher Neves, a 35-year-old Modesto resident, tried to break up the fight but was attacked by three other people who jumped in after him. The fight grew to about 40 participants with a smaller group trading blows and the rest exchanging insults. Hey, you! Let's fight! Them's fighting words. (laughs) (laughs) That must have been a sight to see. That is, by the lazy river is the irony of it all. Like wave pool, you could understand. Yeah, lazy lazy river, river. though. Come on. Tennessee. Man so drunk, he tried to call an Uber on his vape pen. (laughs) Were you in Tennessee? (laughs) (laughs) This is the most, uh, like, uh, 2019 one ever. Yeah, honestly, before you read it, if you had read this story nope. 15 years ago, nobody would even know what it is. Uber and a vape pen. That's what right. I'm saying. It's so so now. So C- chic. Concerned citizens flagged down officers early Sunday at 4th and Church Street in downtown Nashville and directed them to an intoxicated male who was roaming around the area unreasonably annoying people. The, I didn't know you can call the police for that. The individual was identified as 23-year-old Davis Fuqua. Oh who officers say was unable to tell them where he was staying and advised he was calling an Uber while attempting to do so on his electronic cigarette vaping device, which did not come with a cellular, <laughs> o- cellular option. Ooh, this person writing it is snarky. Officer Jessica Burton noted he was, quote, not making much sense and was taken into custody due to being unable to care for himself. Oh, boy. This is scotch, and I'm all hassle huffed out. Ha! <laughs> I'm all, are these all new drops, by the way? I think so. I feel like Keith listened to the segment yesterday. Us getting on them. Uh, we, yeah. we didn't get on All right. Last but not least, Texas. What do we call it? America's belt buckle. Belt buckle. That was it. Uh, stick up ends when cowboy store clerk lassos Robert. This is I amazing. Like it. A 7-Eleven employee fought off an armed robbery suspect by tying him up Tuesday night. Police responded to a report of an armed robbery shortly after 11 p.m., Officers said the suspect tried to rob the store and attempted to stab the employee with a screwdriver. Holy ah. cow. A fight between the suspect and the convenience store clerk ensued, but the clerk happened to be a cowboy. He grabbed a rope and tied up the suspect awesome. until a police arrived. That was the most Texas story you could get. Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine being like, Minnesota, he was a cowboy. Everybody just happened to have a lasso under the counter. <laughs> well, always fun way to end the show. We're glad that you joined us today. Join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.